0: So, Acts 9, given to us this morning. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lida was near, Joppa the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room, and all the windows stood beside him, all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with him. But Peter put them all outside, and knelt down and prayed, and turned to the body, he said, "Tabitha, arise." And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word and the way in which you plan to use it in our lives. We pray that through your servant's mouth, the words that come through would be those of yours, that the good news would ring true in our ears, that we might contemplate it and feel it in our hearts, that we might be called and urged to live it in our lives. Thank you for your servant, Cooney, and the way that he has approached this text, this study, and his diligence to understand what you have for us here, a word written many years ago for us today. Please be working through him in our hearts and our minds and our lives as we look at this text together. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated.
1: With Mission to the World... Uh, serving in Japan uh, with a ministry called Christ Bible Institute. Uh, It's been such a joy to be with you during this part of my sojourn. Um, As a missionary I love talking about missiology and the gospel crossing cultures um, and nerding out about all the different intricacies of how the gospel shines in unique ways in different cultures. Love talking about that. And this morning, as so we uh, discuss our global witness, right, we want to keep that mission in view, uh, God's global purposes to gather people from every tribe unto himself. Uh, but this morning is not a lecture on missiology. Uh, it's not a lecture on global missions. Uh, I'm not proposing some sort of plan for how Christ's church uh, must engage in mission both here uh, within the united states and around the world it's not a lecture of that sort at all but we are approaching the word of god to look at this brief story in acts and what it tells us about the quality of that mission what makes christian mission mission right what distinguishes it from all other efforts that we see around the world to better the human condition. Because certainly it's not just Christians who are striving for a better world, for a better human experience. But if mission is important to us, if caring for the poor and the needy, both physically and spiritually, is important to the church, Right, then there, there must be a specific reason why God calls the church to engage in that. Right. What is unique about our mission? And so before we get to the content of what that mission entails, right, we'll be looking at that through, through uh, two different ways. Our, our global witness is a life shared and it is a life shown. Uh, Before that, I'd like to ask two questions. What are the marks of a believer? In other words, what causes a person to be Christian? And then the second question, what signs identify a Christian? What signs identify a Christian? Historically, uh, theologians summarize this in three points. They say, one, the proper preaching of the gospel and this is describing uh, the Christian church as a whole. One, the proper preaching of the gospel. Two, the proper administration of the sacraments. Today we have the joy of taking communion together. The proper administration of the sacraments. And third, the proper use of discipline, For the sake of the edification, the purification of the church and the body of Christ, right? This is us. Usually three things. Certainly, these three are all very important. But some have raised the question, why not include a fourth? Why not include a proper engagement in mission? Is that not core to who we are as believers in Christ, commissioned to go out into all the world, into all of God's creation, being bearers of the good news that is ours in Christ? We have been saved Why not include a proper engagement in mission? Uh, Samuel Logan, President Emeritus, Emeritus? How do you say that word? (laughs) Of Westminster, Philadelphia. Uh, He's uh, put together these several diagnostic questions to explore whether or not uh, a church or perhaps an individual we are engaging uh, in mission, uh, uh, um, being faithful to that A fourth mark of the church that he suggests. I'd like to pose these to us as just things to ruminate on as you process how this might be applied in uh, your personal life and also in the life of our church. He asks Is mission an obvious mark of the church today? Is mission an obvious mark of Christ's church today? Two. Does missional mentality prioritize our energies or is a maintenance mindset more or less in total control of our congregational and personal agendas? Does does missional mentality prioritize our energies or do we have a maintenance mindset? Is that what is in control? Third, do we largely operate with what is sometimes referred to as the Old Testament idea of mission. In other words, waiting for the outsiders to come in to us rather than the New Testament model of going out to them. See how those second and third are related. A maintenance mindset leads to a, a perspective that missions is primarily about people coming to us so that we can maintain what we have here all right whereas the gospel commissions us to go out to prioritize our energies in that way these are great questions to think about to measure whether we are faithfully answering the the great commission that has been given to us these are great questions for me to to remember that this does not only apply to the american church but as we go out to mission whether it be costa rica or japan or eastern europe or other parts of the world are we properly engaging in the mission that god has given to us these are helpful questions in thinking about the signs that identify faithful christian living But we never address that first question of what causes a person to be a Christian. Is it the the faithful obedience to these various things? You're preaching the gospel. You take part in the sacraments. uh, You submit to the authority of the church discipline. You're out evangelizing, meeting people in their needs and mercy and justice and neighborly love. Is that what makes a person a Christian? (laughs) No. (laughs) These things are certainly signs of a Christian life. But when we think about the cause, what is it that animates a person to live a life like that? Why is it that a person can live a life like that in the first place? What causes a person to be a a Christian is the work of Christ is it not just as we sung in the power of the cross I love all of these but especially that fourth verse oh to see my name written in the wounds our name is written in his wounds if we are in Christ for he not only came to earth and showed us the signs of that Christian life by being an example And being fulfillment of all of God's law and all of his commands. But he died. And for those who are in Christ, trusting in him, our name is written in his wounds. For through your suffering, I am free. Death is crushed to death. Life is mine to live, one through your selfless love. So all of this is rooted in the work of Christ applied to us by the Holy Spirit. Many theologians have talked about how these two things, what causes us to be a Christian, namely the work of Christ in us and the signs of a Christian life, uh, how these things are intention. And oftentimes we can talk about how it is so difficult to balance just the the gracious work of God in our life with the the call to obedience how do we think about these things together right it has led to lots of debate within the christian church many of you have probably wrestled with these things at various points in your life jonathan edwards talks about how these two are not separate (laughs) they are inextricably related you could think about it as two sides of a coin they are you cannot have a true expression of one without a true expression of the other. And all of this leads to, uh, excuse me, let me back up. So discussing the causes and the signs, he puts it this way. He says, it is just as necessary that men and women be obedient as it is that they exercise faith in Christ. There you see the two things. In neither case does human behavior cause justification. The Holy Spirit alone is the cause of justification. But a relishing faith and an evangelical obedience are both essential conditions of justification. Essential nature of faith is an act of giving to God, not an act of getting from God essential nature of faith is an act of giving to God, not an act of getting from God. So we give ourselves to God in faith because he is worthy, because he deserves all that we have and all that we are. So if obedience is an act of living a good life so that we can receive blessing from God, so that we can earn a right standing before God, if that is why we engage in mission, if that is why we seek virtue in our lives, then of course that is opposed to an understanding that we are saved by grace alone. Of course those things would be at odds. But if our obedience is an act of giving back to God because all that we have, we have received from him, then it is not opposed to an understanding of grace because it is rooted in that reality that all that we have is bought by the work of Christ and that we are only made righteous in him. These two are are not at odds, but they are two beautiful truths that hold together. Love how this hymn summarizes it. It says, we're the whole realm of nature mine. That were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, and all. God's grace demands our soul. It demands our obedience. And that is not a harsh yoke. This call to engage in a global witness of the gospel is not a burdensome call but it is an invitation to participate in the life of Christ to give it back to God because we have so abundantly received it is a joy given to us and so that brings us to our text today we see a microcosm of God's family doing it they are living this out In a beautiful way. We travel from Grand Rapids to Lydda. A small coastal town. Just west. Northwest-ish of Jerusalem. It's interesting that Peter even ends up here. Because this wasn't a town of great influence. He wasn't necessarily intending on going here. Yet, as Christ commissions his church in Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Peter is being dragged along, called from one place to the next, being surprised at every step along the way, and he comes to Lydda. And here in Lydda, we see a beautiful church, a beautiful family of God. This is approximately six years after the Pentecost. And so probably there were Jews who were gathered in Jerusalem, uh, narrated in Acts 2, right? When they received the gift of the Holy Spirit and they dispersed back to their towns, saying that many believed. Acts 8, 4 said, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. These people, as they were scattered from place to place, being placed under pressure, persecution at times, they preached the word and a church here was born. This is a church full of love for one another, giving all that they had to, to meet the needs. All of this as an expression of the abundant life that they had received in Christ. And we see Tabitha, this woman who is embodying all of those things. Who is dearly loved by her community she's full of good works it says and acts of charity and so we see that that quality the signs the marks of her christian life but the text also tells us that she was a disciple um Tira, this is the only instance in the new testament where this specific word indicating a female disciple is used and so The author of Acts, Luke, is very intentional to tell us that Tabitha is a woman of God, that she uh, treasures the truths of Christ in her heart, and all of her good works and acts of charity are flowing out of her, her obedience and her love, her devotion to Jesus. In those days, she became ill and died. We don't know if this was a long journey for her, whether she battled sickness and disease or whether this came upon suddenly. The text doesn't tell us that. Um, But it does tell us a lot about what happened after she died. When the people had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. They call Peter. They hear that he is nearby in Joppa. And so they send men to go and get him. Begging, urging him, saying, please come to us without delay. So Peter goes. He rises up. Joins to go with them. he comes up into the upper room. All the widows are standing beside him presumably in the house crowding around Tabitha's quiet body weeping they had all come gathered in that place with tunics and clothes that Tabitha had had made for them these physical signs these marks of her love in their church and they gather here Begging Peter. Perhaps they were looking for looking and expecting Peter to raise Tabitha to life as he did. Uh, but w- the text doesn't tell us that either. Perhaps they were just asking for Peter to come as a leader of the church to come and to be with them, to pray with them, to celebrate. The life of this beloved disciple Tabitha to celebrate with them, to mourn with them, and to care for this grieving community. Nevertheless, we see that, uh, in any case, we see that Peter comes, and it says in verse forty that Peter put them all outside. the The story parallels some of you may have noticed. The story of Christ uh, raising Jairus' daughter, the dead, from the dead. In that story as well, he casts the people out and says, Talitha Kumi, little girl, arise. Jairus' daughter rises to life. So Peter put them all outside. He knelt down and he prayed asking Christ to move through him. He turned to the body, and he said, in Aramaic, likely, in words that are almost identical to what Christ said in Mark 5, he says, Tabitha, arise. Just one letter different. He said, Tabitha, arise. And much to the surprise of all the people, She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And Peter took her down from the upper room back to be with all the widows and her beloved community who had gathered in that place, and he presented her to them alive. It became known throughout all of that region, and many believed in the Lord, it said. In this text, we see a beautiful witness. Firstly, of Tabitha's life shared with the community. Secondly, the life shown. We've already hit on this first point a little bit, but our global witness is a life shared. The Spirit commissions disciples of Jesus to share life through love and good deeds. And we see that this is lived out in the humblest of ways, right? You don't have to be the leader of some prominent nonprofit. You don't have to be able to stand in front of crowds to motivate and to encourage and teach. Those are certainly very important, but it begins perhaps in the most powerful and most impactful ways in the humble everyday context where Tabitha is in community with her people, making tunics, making clothes, asking how she can demonstrate love for her people and perhaps meeting needs that weren't even expressed, but she has an eye to discern those needs around her. We see that our gospel witness begins In the humble ways that our life is shared. And so we can celebrate, in fact, as we look back on church history, all the ways that God has in fact done this. We see that, yes, certainly the church has uh, been involved in very egregious things within history. But there is also the reality that the, the people of Christ have been proponents of Establishing better health care, better education, a focus on the familial life that harkens back to God's covenant family. These beautiful ways that the church has been involved in the betterment of the human condition. The list goes on and on and on. But in this text, we also see the limitation of that witness if it is only a life shared People die, right, Tabitha died and her community felt that limit in a really acute way. They probably asked the question, what are we gonna do without our Tabitha? <laughs> who, I- who is gonna lead the charge in demonstrating love and good works in our community? Without her, we're just gonna scatter. All these needs will be left unmet. Perhaps there was a family that was depending on Tabitha to to cook their meals, to help care for their children, to bring them clothes when they had nothing to provide. And they were asking the question, Lord, what are we gonna do? Have you ever felt that way in ministry, in your work, in your life, where you feel just the limit of our effort, it can only give so much. Lord, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And our efforts are finite. Even if we think about this on a macro scale, many uh, scholars have noted that wealth, that uh, GDP only helps happiness so much. There is a limit to the success of the human species in terms of society and economics to actually lead to happiness. It's interesting, yes, uh, monetary resources can be a huge help in, in bringing uh, more happiness and contentment to people on the low end of the spectrum who are in great need. And, and while it does help, I'm going backwards for you guys. It does help. It actually tapers off, though, as wealth increases. If you look at the most prosperous countries of the world. Oftentimes, the most prosperous countries of the world are also the most discontent. We see that in our nation. We have the highest GDP in the world, and yet is our nation full of a uh, of communities that are expressing sacrificial love for one another. <laughs> like, Cooney, are you kidding me? <laughs> Were you really here for the past <laughs> year? <laughs> uh, our, our nation is crazy <laughs> this time. We are far from full of peace and joy and unity and love for one another, that seeks to serve the betterment of our community over the striving to get ahead ourselves. We're far from that. And so we see that if our witness is only a life shared, we run into a limit. That's not to say that those actions are not important, but we've got to push one step further Our global witness is a life presented or a life shown. We saw that after Peter prays earnestly and the spirit of Christ working through him raises Tabitha to life after she opened her eyes, right? He brought her down and he presented her alive. And it said that became known all throughout Joppa and many believed in the Lord. It wasn't that many believed that Peter was an apostle, or that many believed that Peter was a miracle worker, or man, Peter is such a great guy for leaving all of that he all that he was trying to do in Joppa and he came to meet our need in Lydda. Oh, I love that Peter guy. <laughs> no. It so says they believed in the Lord. They believed in Jesus. And what was the most decisive moment that led to this response of faith? Peter presents her alive. And so as the spirit transforms disciples of Jesus, not only through their good works, not only through Tabitha's charity and her life shared, but as the spirit transforms us from dead bodies in sin and disobedience to God under his wrath and transforms us to newness of life, we simply show it. We simply present that we are new creations in him. Tabitha passively shows what she has received. There is no striving for her To show that she has been risen from the dead. There is no striving for you to show that you are resting in grace. There is no striving for you to boldly share that all of your sins are forgiven in him. We can move forward in humility and in gratitude and with a spirit that is overcome by his peace, that all we have to do is to show, to present what we have been given. You see, though the widows and the church community were probably overcome by grief, by this moment of great weakness in their church, well, Tabitha, this woman who powerfully ministered in her community, love and good deeds amazing influential witness it's interesting her greatest ministry it wasn't her tunics it wasn't her good deeds but her most powerful and most impactful ministry in that community was death Her death was her greatest weakness. She laid silent in the upper room. And yet it was from her death that God worked the most amazing results. Death was her greatest weakness, yet this was her strongest witness because God used that death and the life that he brought back to her by the miraculous working of the spirit within her to bring many to that same newness of life, beginning from belief in him. The same applies to us. Our greatest witness is not how much we can share with our world around us in terms of good works and our charity, But our greatest testimony, our greatest witness, is to share the life that we have been given, that the curtain is torn into, and that the dead are raised to life. Of course, this isn't to say that Tabitha wasn't a Christian until Peter said, Tabitha, arise. She certainly already was. Yet she experienced the power of God in an incredible way so that her most powerful witness was not her strivings, but the work of God in her showing her Christ animated life. We're all longing as a world for death to be no more, that we would never have to struggle with these limitations of our existence with the futility of our striving. And now we wait in this moment. Not all of us will experience that uh, that instantaneous ex- uh, resurrection of life like Tabitha did. I think about that heart-wrenching story just a few chapters later where uh, James the brother of John is imprisoned and Peter is imprisoned as well and both of them surely were begging for God deliverance the church was gathering around them begging God for deliverance for God to rescue them from the hands of death and Peter was rescued like Tabitha but what about James he was killed He died and so there is a reality that we don't yet experience the fullness of that physical resurrection life that is promised to us that will be ours when christ returns and yet we have this great inheritance that is ours the life that christ has bought for you if you trust in him And he dwells in you, and his spirit works powerfully within you. And that is your greatest witness, whether that be here in Grand Rapids, whether that be to the ends of the earth, that is your greatest witness, the resurrection life given to you in Christ. With that, let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we do praise you for this blood-bought life that you invite us to rest in. You tell us that Jesus is the bread of life, Lord, that all who are thirsty, that all who hunger can come, buy, eat, drink without money and god we come to your table this morning to receive that bread to receive the wine of life that is ours lord and as we take part in your sacrament here and as we go out into our everyday lives throughout this week we pray lord that you would empower us to love boldly to be filled with good works and acts of charity demonstrate to the watching world the love that you have implanted in our hearts that is so transformative. And yet, God, might we do all of that out of this humble, humble reception of your life to show it. God, thank you for your word. We pray all of these things for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.